0: Our reading this morning is taken from uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, starting at the first verse. It's uh, in the Church, Red Church Bibles, it's on page 1014, 1014. So, readings, Mark chapter 10, starting at the first verse. Let's hear God's word to us. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. May the Lord bless this word to us as we hear it being preached in a few minutes
1: thank you. if you've got bibles if you could pick those up again that'd be great um, we're going to be looking at those uh, verses that Steve read for us just a, a short while ago let me pray for us as we get our minds back into that heavenly father we thank you so much that you are a God who speaks into every situation in our lives Uh, that some of the things you say are trickier than others, but that you give us understanding. So we pray that that would be happening today and that we would be ready to hear whatever it is you have to say to us and ready to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. The normative family held together by marriage, by mother and father sticking together for the sake of the children, the sake of their own parents, the sake of themselves, This is the only possible basis for a safe and successful society. That is what the MP Danny Kruger said two weeks ago, that the normative family held together by marriage, that is the building block for a secure society. You might have heard in the news what the response to him saying that was. Not good. The idea of permanent marriages between men and women being the bedrock of society, Matt Hancock said, it is so offensive and so wrong. An opposition party member said, those comments show just how utterly out of touch his political party is with modern-day Britain. The Prime Minister was asked for his opinion. So do do you think that uh, uh, marriages, man and women sticking together, that that is the bedrock of society? And he uh, declined to comment and a, a spokesperson said no. Hot potatoes like this, they come up all the time. And a public figure is asked, what do you think? What do you think? Should that be allowed? Do you agree with what they said? And very often, it, it's not actually, they don't really want to know. They're not after a reasoned debate. They're just trying to trip people up. So they're saying, look, what would you like to do? Would you like to agree with the MP and make half of the people explode with outrage? Or would you like to disagree with the MP and alienate the other half? please would you pick your enemy? It's it's not a real question, is it? It's a test. It's a trap. And something like that is going on with Jesus in our passage today. His critics bring up the topic of marriage and divorce, and they do it as a test case. They're doing it as a test case. This is not a serious question. This is a trap. Let's read again what they asked him in verse one. So from verse one, uh, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And there it is, They're, they're testing him with this question. The Pharisees are not neutral, They're not going, I don't know the answer. Please, would you teach me? And they're not going, hmm, I'd be interested to know what he thinks. It's a test. So far in Mark, the Pharisees have publicly criticized him for being too lax in who he's willing to spend time with, for being too lax in how he washes his hands and how he gets his disciples to do all that ritual washing. He's completely wrong on the Sabbath. They criticize him over and over. So as far back as chapter 3 we read that some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and even that they're plotting to have him killed. So these are not people uh, ready to go, oh, teach us, please. This is a smokescreen. There's a landmine hidden in the question, and they're hoping that he treads on it. Now, it is a tricky question, isn't it? Is divorce okay? I wonder how you would answer that. uh, It's not a... It's not a good thing. Uh, uh, I think it might be, in some situations, an, an allowed thing. It's not a really simple idea, is it? And we'll be getting into all of that shortly. But beyond just being tricky, how is this a trap? How is this a trap for Jesus? Well, first of all, it is a political trap. Back in chapter 6, John the Baptist got his head cut off for talking about divorce. He'd said that King Herod should not have married his brother's wife. The situation there was that uh, Herod and Herod's brother, they were married to different people. They, but, uh, then, then Herod and, and his brother's wife had an affair while they were both married. They then both got divorced and then married each other. And, and John the Baptist said that wasn't right and subsequently died for it. And the Pharisees are probably hoping, oh, Jesus might say something similar And then it's off with his head. They can deal with that for us. But beyond the politics, this is a religious trap as well because there were lots of heated debates at the time on this topic. Debates about how do you interpret Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. That's one to look look up later. Those are the verses in the Old Testament that talk about uh, a divorce. And it isn't a straightforward passage. What we might want it to say is, Divorce is okay in these situations, and it's not okay in those situations. That would be much simpler, wouldn't it? But instead, it's about a particular situation where somebody gets divorced, then they marry somebody else, and then they get divorced again, and then they want to marry the person they were married to before, and whether that's okay. So it's not a straightforward passage. It's not a clear-cut case. And so there were lots of debates about it. The the verses say things like this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds out something indecent about her, dot, 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 dot. dot. Again, what does that mean? Becomes displeasing to her? In what way? There were two schools of thought on this. One would say, this is about if he finds out she's having an affair. That's the indecent thing. If he finds out that, then, then, and only then, is it Okay. The other view was anything could make her indecent, anything could be displeasing, as little as burning his dinner. That would be grounds for divorce. He comes in, sort of, oh, not again. Right, I'm calling my lawyer. That so that would be, that would be enough. Just anything he doesn't like. And so those are the two sides. Is it very, very restricted? Is one only one thing, or is it anything you like? And the Pharisees say, "Go on, Jesus." What are you going to say? Are you going to alienate this half of the people or this half of the people? We're going to hang you for a legalist or a a liberal. You get to pick. And so Jesus has to tread a very careful line. He has to be clear. He needs to try and work out a, a line through between saying divorce is okay. Oh, right, so you don't think marriage vows matter then. And saying that it is bad. Oh, well, why does God's law allow for it then? You're not disagreeing with the Bible, are you? It's so kind of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's a test. And people today do this all the time, don't they? The, the topic of sex and relationships, that is used as a test. Your view on sexuality is the litmus test for whether you are going to be allowed in polite society or cancelled. It's a way of catching Jesus out. Go on then, Jesus, go on, tell me your view of marriage and think very, very carefully what you say even though really they've already written him off. Now, that might be you this morning as we read this. You go, okay, here we go marriage and divorce. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this. But Jesus has a masterful way of skipping through the minefield, if you like. He, he manages to be too strict for liberals and too liberal for the strict. And in doing that, he challenges everybody. <laughs> absolutely everybody. I, I said this was a test case. And it's not just because they're testing Jesus. Jesus uses the opportunity to test us. He takes the opportunity to give another example of what it means to follow him. Now, if you've been here the, the last few weeks, you'll, you, you'll, you might have picked up by now that this whole chunk, this whole section, I think it is applying those words in chapter 8, verse 34, when Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, and follow me. And all the next set of stories are going, well, what will that mean? Is it worth it? What does it look like? Last week, we saw that included being radical with our sin, chopping it out of our lives. And here we have a test case of that. Are we prepared to fight sin and follow Jesus, even in this area, even in the most sensitive of areas, of marriage and divorce? Jesus challenges All of us, whether we're single or married or widowed or divorced. And so this morning, this might make us feel a bit uncomfortable. That is what Jesus tends to do. This isn't getting at anybody in particular, and and I'd be very, very happy to talk with people afterwards if that would help. I just want us to tease out what Jesus is actually saying about this controversial issue. So let's get to it. Let's get to the question. Is it lawful? for a man to divorce his wife. John Stott used to say, if anyone ever asked to talk to him about divorce, he would say no, not until we've had a long conversation about marriage. And I think that was very wise. Uh, Jesus similarly thinks that you can't understand divorce unless you've understood marriage. And so he talks actually a lot more about what marriage is uh, is about. So we're going to look at that uh, first. Jesus teaches that Marriage is a lifelong union. Marriage is a lifelong union. He acknowledges, yes, the Old Testament law does allow for divorce. But he says, yeah, it's not meant to be like that, though. It's meant to be a lifelong union. So he goes back earlier than Deuteronomy, where that law was given, and he goes to Genesis. Don't just look at what Moses allowed. Look at what God designed So he says, yeah, we've got that law. We absolutely do. But, verse 6, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Nobody gets married dreaming of an amicable divorce. Everybody's wedding day is full of high hopes. And marriage itself began that same way, without thoughts of separation. Marriage was created as a lifelong union, and that's built into creation. That's why every culture in the world has marriage. That's why every marriage kind of grips our imagination and our hopes the way that it does. Because on the day God invented men and women, he invented marriage. The church didn't invent marriage. The government didn't invent marriage. God did. And so only God gets to define what marriage is. He says that marriage is when a man leaves one family unit to create another one, to be united with his wife, a woman who is likewise leaving one family unit to create this new thing, this union of people deeply woven together, to the point that verse 8 says, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. God joins people together in marriage. Now, weddings are wonderful days, aren't they? They're full of declarations of love. There'll be lots of people saying that they love each other. Uh, 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 But more than that, more than saying, this is how I feel today, weddings are saying, aren't they, this is what I promise the future. Something has changed now. We are now fused together in a way so that all of our joys, all our sorrows, all our sickness, all our health, this is now going to be experienced as one. And sex is a picture of that as husband and wife enact that truth that they are now one flesh. Now, Modern relationships tend to get this the other way around, don't they? You start with sex and maybe sometimes develop into commitment. And that's completely backwards. The commitment has to come first. And that isn't just about you know being a prude, this is about what actually works as to how it was made, what it was built for. Uh, according to God, romance, sexuality, those are kind of flowers that only bloom and flourish and last in the rich soil of marriage. It's only that kind of commitment that can actually support that. Marriage is meant to be the deepest of friendships. It requires opening up to each other, sharing our hearts, risking things, risking everything, letting ourselves be fully known and accepted by somebody else. That is a huge thing. It's only the promise that they're going to stick around that will allow us to, to become vulnerable like that. And it's only that promise that's going to help us work through the problems when we rise. Because we've already decided we're sticking with this, so we really better work it out. Marriage is an absolutely beautiful thing. That covenant commitment to that one flesh union for the rest of life. To carry on what uh, Danny Kruger, MP, said in that terrible speech, marriage is not all about you. It is not just a private arrangement. It is a public act by which you undertake to live for someone else. Of course that view of marriage is unpopular because it's blooming hard. That is really hard, isn't it? That is much harder Than marriage simply being any two individuals who would like to sleep together. Doing so for as long as they still feel like doing that. It's a much deeper connection than that. It's a much better representation of the character of God. The Lord who is selflessly committed to his people. Who becomes one with his people. Who gives himself for them. Who doesn't give up on them. We're told in Ephesians, marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. So when we read this, we ought to be so glad that Jesus has a high view of marriage. Because it means he isn't going to up and leave us. He sees it as a lifelong union. The Pharisees want to know what they can get away with. Jesus wants to take it deeper He wants to talk about what God designed marriage to be. Our culture wants to redefine marriage. And while some here might want to criticize their desire to redefine marriage, we try to redefine marriage all the time. Each of us does in our hearts. We want to lower it down to something more doable. We want to make it something less demanding. We want to make it something more self-serving, something that's easier to get out of but marriage is god's invention it only works his way we have to follow the maker's instructions and that's why jesus keeps going to the bible i think this is fascinating this one one little angle on this passage is how you know they say to jesus settle this debate and he says in verse 3 okay what does the scripture say what does the bible say and then once they've uh, said that, he then builds on that argument by quoting from Genesis 1 and then quoting from Genesis 2. He, sort of, he puts it, almost none of what he says is actually his own words, as it were. It's, it's putting together bits of the Bible and going, well, there we go then. God's word on the matter is the authority, even for Jesus. And so it must be for us. If we're married... This is what following Jesus is going to look like in that area of life. It will be a lifelong union. So not pulling away from each other, not pulling away emotionally, physically, spiritually, romantically, sexually, conversationally. Not just having that general, we're going in opposite directions. Instead of moving closer towards one another. As we selflessly try to live out the reality, imperfectly, that we are now one flesh. And if we're not married, whether single, divorced, widowed, this is still the standard to uphold marriage as a lifelong union. That's what to pursue if ever marriage does come along. This is what to encourage other people in. This is what to hang on to when we're tempted to pull sex out of its proper context and say, no, that belongs there because it's the whole package of the picture of Jesus and his church. So this is a challenge for everybody here, that marriage is a lifelong union. And it's only when we've got that really clear in our minds that we've got any hope of answering the original question about divorce. So let's hear what what Jesus says next about that. When he says that divorce is a reality because of sin. Divorce is a sad reality because of sin. Notice I didn't say divorce is a sin. It it can be. Sin is always involved somewhere, but that isn't Jesus' point. He's saying look, marriage is from creation. That's the the ideal. That's where it's come from. Divorce only enters the scene after sin appears. The Pharisees point to that law that uh, allows for divorce, and Jesus replies like this in verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard... That Moses wrote you this law. Not that divorced people are more hard hearted than other people. He's saying in an ideal world, there would be no divorce. But because of sin, it is a reality. Because of the sin in our hearts that messes up relationships, divorce is sometimes sadly needed. Marriage is not the problem. It's not like it's too high a bar. The law is not the problem. The problem is our hearts, the problem is sin in our hearts. And that is true even if we never get married, or even if we are married and stay married. That will be the problem for all of us. Marriage is meant to be lifelong, but sometimes sin messes it up. Sometimes a spouse will do something that is so destructive that the marriage covenant has been broken. And so ideally, there would be repentance and forgiveness, but that doesn't always happen. And in those circumstances, divorce is allowed. Verse 4 is absolutely right. The Pharisees are, are right in saying that God's law does permit it, but that's not the same as giving an approval of it. Even when it is lawful, divorce is always awful, if you like. It's always bad. And if you have been divorced, you don't need me to tell you that. Jesus here is agreeing with just how painful it is, how disruptive it is, how heartbreaking. You glue two pieces of paper together and then try to pull them apart. You can't do that without damage, without pain. Like Jesus says in verse 9, those famous words that we read at weddings, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If marriage is a lifelong union, of course, breaking that up, it's a terrible, terrible tragedy. Tim Keller, who uh, sadly died last week, well, not sad for him, as he, he pointed that out, didn't he? He goes, this is, this is an, all an upgrade for me, dying. But, um, but Tim Keller, who, who, who uh, he said this. He said, divorce is not easy like taking off your clothes. Divorce is more like taking off your arm. It's a kind of amputation. He, he says, imagine a doctor who said, whatever the problem was, we should amputate. We should amputate. I've got a splinter. We should amputate. A bit too quick with the sore. That doctor would eventually be struck off, wouldn't they? But that's our culture, pushing easy divorce as a first resort. But Then he goes a little bit further. So imagine a doctor then who refuses to ever amputate. That wouldn't be good either. Sometimes for the sake of the patient, the arm needs to come off. And it is like that with divorce. It's not something that should be done lightly, but sadly it is sometimes necessary. Now, when might those times be? Well, if this was the only passage we had, it would be hard to see any situations where divorce was permissible, but this isn't the only thing the Bible has to say. So, in the parallel passage to this, in Matthew 19, which is is the same account, uh, uh, Jesus himself mentions one exception so the pharisees very tellingly ask him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason so they get what they're getting at here and jesus says i tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery so it's saying that actually sexual unfaithfulness might be a situation in which divorce is acceptable one Corinthians seven. There's another situation introduced where a non-Christian spouse refuses to stay married. So, so you you're not looking for a divorce, but your spouse refuses to remain married to you. In that situation, the Bible says you're not bound, you're not tied in. They go, no, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. If they are doing it to you, and desert. So there's these two clear grounds for divorce here, aren't they? Sexual immorality. And desertion, but that doesn't mean anything short of that is acceptable. As long as you don't do that, guys, you knock yourselves out. Do whatever in marriage. No, uh, things like spousal abuse—that is a terrible evil. One spouse abusing the other—that is completely against what Jesus says marriage is, isn't it? And so there'd be situations I'd argue sometimes that 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 could meet those criteria of those those two things. It, that it's a sort of desertion. It's a kind of dereliction of duty. Either way, it's certainly not something that should be tolerated. So I want to take this opportunity to say, if that is your experience, please come and talk to us, please get help. Jesus' very strong teaching on marriage is not supposed to be keeping people in situations that are not safe. It's exactly for those nightmare situations that God's law speaks hope into. So if you think about other cultures at the time, A divorce was when a man just felt like kicking his wife out, and that was it. I get to divorce you by just saying, we're done. And she is out, she is left unprovided for, in a culture where women had no way of providing for themselves, and she's open to all sorts of accusations. Whereas Deuteronomy 24, God requires a certificate of divorce to be given. The idea that this woman now can go with proof, I haven't just run off, I'm free to, to, to marry again. I, I'm, I'm free here. He's, his law here and God's whole take on marriage and divorce protects people. And it does that both by insisting on the permanence of marriage and by providing a, an emergency escape for the most dire of situations. It's the whole of what God says that is good for us. Now, that is a very different thing to pushing for divorce for any and every reason, isn't it? That is a much more nuanced answer than the Pharisees wanted. Is divorce okay? And and it's not a simple yes or no. It is not a simple yes or no. It is sometimes allowed. It is always a tragedy. Many Pharisees, however, thought divorce was absolutely fine. In fact, some of them would have used the law... To force husbands to divorce their wives, whether you want to or not, she did X. Now you have to show her the door. That's not the way of Jesus, isn't it? He wants to leave open that gospel hope that repentance can bring reconciliation. Divorce is destructive. It should be avoided if, if at all possible. And having that high bar like that, doesn't that underline how important marriage is? It can be broken, but not easily. The opposite of that approach would be no-fault divorce. That, That became legal in the UK last April. So now, according to the law, you don't need to claim adultery or desertion or unreasonable behaviour or even give any reason at all. One person can say the relationship's broken down and the other person no longer has the right to challenge that. That is the law now. And the idea behind it, I think, I think it's a, a kind idea that if we get rid of the need to assign blame, then divorces could be less messy and people would be less likely to be trapped in these situations where the other person contests it and contests it and contests it. Those are good motives and, and they may well help some people. But that undermines marriage in an enormous way, doesn't it? it genuinely is easier to wiggle out of than a phone contract. And in a country where 42% of marriages end in divorce, where the average marriage is less than 12 years, we don't need to be making that easier. You can get a divorce now simply because you would rather be married to somebody else. And that is not okay. Jesus says that is adultery. He says that's tantamount to cheating. So we see that in verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So the disciples wanted to find out more, whether there's a kind of, are you serious about this? That's the side of the argument you come down on. And he said, absolutely, I completely agree with what John the Baptist said about, jo- about King Herod. I really do. And it seems quite black and white, but I don't actually think it's as simple as it might seem. I don't think this is outlawing all remarriage. After all, the the point of divorce in the law was to make it clear that first marriage has ended, and so that person is now free. So how is it adultery if they actually do that? I think, again, it's, it's in the heart. I don't think Jesus has in mind here somebody getting a legitimate divorce and then 10 years down the line, they meet a lovely Christian and, and marry them. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think the person Jesus has in his sights is far more like King Herod. The person whose divorce is to enable them to go and marry somebody else. That's out with the old, in with the new. He's saying that person cannot pick up their divorce certificate and say, look, it's all above board. He's saying no, actually. You broke up your marriage to go off with somebody else. That is the definition of adultery. I don't care about the paperwork. I care about your heart. And that is why the call of Jesus is so challenging. It's so challenging. It goes so much deeper because it's sin that goes so much deeper. So whoever we are, whether we are King Herod, whether we are not, we're not free to rip up what God says. He's saying, look, if in our hearts we want out of a marriage and into another one, that's adultery. Likewise, if we look into someone else's marriage and want that to end so we can step in, that is adultery. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Jesus is being quite radical here. He introduces for the first time ever the idea of a woman divorcing her husband. It's not just men getting rid of women. See, Jesus is sort of equal opportunities here. Men and women are both sinners. Both are more than capable of ruining things. We are all sinners. This hits all of us. Now this is an emotional topic. I I know this is a very emotional topic. I know this might be difficult things to listen to. Perhaps it might be that you are divorced. This has stirred all of that up again. Maybe made you question whether... That was the right option, although for some it might have set your mind at rest to actually say, okay, in in that situation, that was okay. But maybe it's churned all of that up. Maybe you are married, and it's really difficult. And it would be much easier if Jesus just winked and said, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, get a divorce, it's fine. Perhaps you're single, and Jesus' teaching on relationships just seems, that is too much can't do that. Whatever our situation, the question is the same. Will we follow Jesus? Will we follow Jesus? Will we do what he calls us to do when he says, okay, this is what marriage is about. This is what's going on with divorce. This is what's going on in this area, that area, that area. Are we ready to pick up our cross and go where he leads? It wasn't supposed to be easy He said following him would be like picking up your cross and going to die. It would be like denying yourself, whether that's denying yourself sex out of marriage, denying yourself an easy way out of a tricky relationship, denying yourself by living sacrificially with your spouse. Are we prepared to do that? Many unhappily married people think the divorce will make them happy. Not only is that statistically untrue, that isn't what God calls us to. There are all sorts of areas of our lives, aren't there, where we think abandoning God's ways is going to make us happy. But that is not how sin works. It's only in following Jesus is there there true freedom. And relationships really can be a test case for us. Will we follow him even then? Now, I'm very aware there are all sorts of situations. um, We might want to ask a Deuteronomy 24 type question. What if this happens and then that happens and then later on that happens? There's all sorts of things. And if you have questions, that that can be a good thing. The Pharisees' questions were a trap. The disciples' questions later were were real questions wanting to tease it out. So let's talk about these things. If anything I've said has been so wrong and so offensive or has been very hurtful or anything I said I didn't mean to do that let's talk more about this explore what it will mean for us but let's do that with a commitment to following Jesus it could be that married couples need to have a conversation later today it could be that there are some apologies that need to be had but I want to say that Jesus died to bring forgiveness Jesus specializes in redeeming messes situations that seem impossible to sort out will we follow Jesus let's pray heavenly father we we tremble at your words the things that you say are difficult The things you say are good, but hard, hard to actually do. So I pray now that you'd give each of us grace to to consider what we've heard, consider what the Lord Jesus says, and to take time to think about how that would apply to us in our situation. We pray that, that through all of this, we would be ready to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow Jesus. We thank you for his promise that it is those who give up their lives now who will gain it eventually. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.